Hegemon is today's word of the day. The password is hegemon. Hegemon. Well, darkness, uh, yes. again, it's good to see you. Here we find ourselves. Uh, this is episode four. Quattro. Four of the now award-winning minivan Centurion podcast. Yes. It critically does, acclaimed. Critically acclaimed. Dozens, if not scores, of people have listened to it. We're up to scores. We're up to scores. I don't want to lie. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. That's right. So, uh, Paxers, Pod Paxers, who are listening, this uh, burgeoning. Not an F3 podcast. <laughs> not part of the F3, F3 family, family of podcasts. This burgeoning and, and nascent movement of Social two. movement of two. Social movement of two continues on for a fourth iteration. Uh, and we are here to pontificate wildly and all the other things we <laughs> yes, used to do. Yes, all the things that we do. We used to do, right. Uh, we find ourselves again in the Higgy, uh, in, the, in the podcast room. I am easy. My uh, erstwhile uh, podcasting companion, one each darkest of all helmets, is behind the Roadcaster Pro. We had a couple limitations this morning because the... Um, yeah, the marathon's in town. The marathon's in town, so I got cut off. I had to go all the way around. It was weird. I uh, forgot about it. Yeah, I, well, if you aren't running it, why would you remember? I just... Because I'm a... a I'm on the Twitterverse, and it's on the Twitterverse, and I, yeah, I suppose, I just, but it just, uh, I wouldn't think about how it would impact my commute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just yeah. Didn't, didn't pay attention. Anyway, uh, fortunately, though, there's a porch convention happening in the front of our there is <laughs> millennial workspace. It's a, a Pakistani pork uh, Porsche convention. Yeah, I know. and it seems to be like a pre 1990. <laughs> like they're all old. They're not. They no are the ones. Porsches. Like, is that the 914 or whatever Tom Cruise was driving in, in Risky Business? That Porsche. Uh, yeah, yeah, it yeah. is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, be I believe so. Yeah, is that a 911? 911. Yeah, thank you. No, thank yeah. You. That's yeah, pretty yeah. good. You like that? Yeah, I can. You know, the one that uh, fell in the water and then they had to, um, off the dock, and the dock collapses and they have to, uh, what do they do? Engage in a house of prostitution? Raise never a saw. lot of Oh, you never saw it? Never okay, saw it. so none of these incredible. All I know is the sliding across the floor. Yeah. You know, that is the. Um, you know, that's the, the, the iconic, the great, scene, the iconic the, scene of the movie, but it really has nothing to do with the plot, really. Yeah, I'm sure not. Yeah. But being is, huge, isn't Risky uh, Business kind of a, wasn't it like a Mrs. Robinson kind of? Um, I'll just go ahead and say not at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really have no ba idea. <laughs> basic plot is, rich, you know, son of rich people in suburban Chicago, uh, trying to get into college, senior in high school, parents go away, he's very buttoned down kid. Friends convince him to do a couple of stupid things. One of it is just take out the family Porsche, which he's not supposed to do. Family Porsche ends up in the river to to fix it. They've got to raise money. Uh, one of the other stupid things he did was engage with a prostitute who he then convinces to bring her other prostitutes over. They they run a, a basically a house of prostitution for his high school buddies, raise a lot of money uh, to, to fix the car. However, the pimp uh -huh. of the prostitutes finds out, and he, oh. to punishment— uh, Robs the house, takes everything out of it, and makes uh, Joel, that's Tom Cruise's okay. character's name, uh -huh. buy everything back. Uh, and, <laughs> and in so doing... I'm so surprised I haven't watched this. Right. And so doing, yeah. though, um, learn something about entrepreneurship in the midst of all this, uh, in a scene that probably never happens in reality, the recruiter from Harvard shows up, I don't know why, and, and witnesses all this uh, entrepreneurial zeal, and uh -huh. that becomes grounds by which... He gets he, admitted. He gets admitted. That's what I recall. Uh, wow. From risky business. Wow. The pimp uh, is uh, whose name was Guido and was referred to as Guido the Killer Pimp. Although Are you serious? Yeah, it's all true. Oh my gosh. Although it's okay. the is it's uh, one of the actors from the Sopranos and his name I can't remember. But oh. uh, Guido the Killer yeah. Pimp. I don't know, was, was that Tom Cruise's? Wasn't his first movie? But I, it may have been kind of that one of those breakout. It was a breakout role. deal, you know. Right. Where it was like yeah, he had done a couple things. And he was he in had, Taps. He was uh, yeah, yeah. he was also in uh, in um, oh gosh what was it? the Outsiders uh, had a bit role in the uh, Outsiders. How about that? He also did a movie called Legend. After that, was it after that? It might have been made for that. Released after that. I don't. Yeah. I don't really know. But I don't it know where was it falls uh, where he plays like a fairy. Yeah, kind of. And I don't. Almost, I don't right? mean uh, that's not an LGBT. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like a fairy dust. Fairy yeah, like one. a yeah, yeah, like yeah, Tinkerbellish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I don't it, think he was a. It was something like that. It was a nymph. Or like yeah, a nymph. Tim Curry was in it, and yeah. uh, that chick that's in. Shows uh, you how incredibly old Tom Cruise actually is, right? Or how long like he's been around? Like he's been around for an unbelievable amount of time. He looks great. He does look great, and he and he can act. <laughs> he's a great actor. I, I mean, look, I people you know say, oh, he's a wacko and all this kind of stuff, and hopping up on the couch and the Katie Holmes and the Scientology. Well, he belongs to arguably he belongs to a cult, Frank. Lots of people do. Lots of people do. <laughs> uh, 
lots that's of people. That's what bad. Lots of people do. But he still acts wonderfully. Like, sure. See, that's what I don't understand. And I've never understood this, is why do we care so much about an actor's person? Now, a politician, I understand, right? But an actor, the actor's personal life. If he acts and I'm entertained, and that's what he's there for, right. why do I care if he's a whack job? I think that's a fair statement. I don't know, I'm just asking. Yeah. I have, no, I have no answer to that question. I don't, uh, why we choose as a, as a people to be distracted by the things we choose to be distracted by, I don't have an answer to that. I don't know. I saw something. I was on the on the twitters and I, and a little you know the things on the on the right hand side if you're on the desktop. Right? Yeah, There's I never little, use that. The so. little. Uh, well, you got, if you're going to automate, you got to use the app, but it's on it anyway. It's not important. The point okay. is, is there's stuff flipping by on the right side, and it says, "Oh, Paris Hilton's married," and all I could think to myself was, "Who freaking cares?" How could anyone possibly care? Why? I mean, Paris cares probably, and the husband yeah. would theoretically care. Con, Conrad Hilton, whatever her father, right? I don't know. Is that? I don't, I don't know. know. She's a Hilton. I don't know if it's Conrad. I don't know. See, that's the problem. I don't care. I know less about Paris Hilton than I do about sports. Have you ever watched her sex tape? Well, sure. No, <laughs> then you know. <laughs> I, no, quite a bit I never have. <laughs> I never have. I never have. And there, I have it. Just it makes no sense to me whatsoever. And neither does I don't this, understand what paparazzi not, are even for. Neither does this discourse. And on that note, uh, we'll roll the open. And, and we're, we're back. back. We're putting the band back together. What would you say you do here? We're on a mission from God. Who is the minivan centurion? He's not simply a husband, father, and a good neighbor, although he is all of those things. He's also the coarse twine that holds the fabric of our community together, fighting to keep us united in the face of those who would split us apart. Most importantly, the minivan centurion is the special trustee of the legacy of liberty, which has been passed through generations of tired and bloody hands from the original men who first founded and then fought to build this nation. The Minivan Centurion is you. He's me. He's every man who lives third, holds the middle, and seeks to stay in the fight. I've noticed the opening is getting even better. You have an like explicit, explicit reference to Office Space now. Yes. I went ahead and just threw it in there. Well, I thought, you know, what might be fun? <laughs> I see, I shouldn't, I shouldn't let this cat out of the proverbial bag, but... Uh, I thought as we sort of add on cultural references yeah. <laughs> throughout our episodes, I might just keep putting, I'm adding them to the open uh, so it just gets fine. longer and longer. Right. If it works. Or you could uh, replace some. Yeah, could. You don't have sure. to keep adding. Could. But uh, I think the uh, scene from the office space where the Bob say, what is yeah. it you say what you, you do, do here? Yeah. Uh, has very, particular resonance for our, well, that's what I was gonna say. our movement of two. Yes. Because uh, as has been discussed in the past, we'll just do a quick rehash. What it is, the, midi, the credo of the minivan centurion is threefold. First, it is you are a person, a man mm-hmm. who loves and protects your family. Second, you are a man who's determined to be an asset to your community. Third, you are a man who will fight to hold the middle of this nation. Yeah. And that's the credo of the mini Van Centurion. And uh, the way that came up was in that iconic scene of Office Space where uh, the Bobs, the Bobs, ask uh, the young We've actor. We've missed a lot of work lately. The, yeah, the actor, young actor whose name we can never remember. Uh, i got to look. Yeah, and uh, he says, what is it you say you do here? And he goes on a long discourse about how he does not do anything. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> what we would like to say to a young man who says, "What if we said to him, what do you say you do here? And he had a blank, we'd slide this book across and help him. That's yeah, the idea. that's it. His name is, okay, it's Conrad Hilton. If I, it's, uh, I think that's right. He had a sex tape with his yeah. daughter or something. Um Come on. Actually, Conrad Hilton might be the Peter act- Gibbons. Peter. No, that's not right. Ron Livingston. Ron Livingston. There we go. Yeah. Oh, Peter Gibbons. <laughs> Idiot. Yeah. Peter Gibbons is his character's, character's name. name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ron Livingston was also in uh, Band of Brothers. Oh. Which uh, is a fave. That's a hard, uh, at least in my mind, like because he's so comedic. Yeah. Would he do? He, I mean, he must have done a pretty good job, though. He did, and also his character was somewhat comedic. Uh, if you remember, he played the I, I didn't see Bennett Brothers, the battalion intelligence officer who was uh, had an alcohol problem. But he was kind of the alter ego of Dick Winters. Not the alter ego. He was kind of the the guy who kind of the counterpoint to Dick Winters. Who's ah, the the the, the, uh, the the foil? The foil would yeah. be better. Right? Yeah, would be yeah. a better way to put yeah. it. So, yeah, he's good. He's a good actor. Yeah, I mean, he's no Tom Cruise. But. Um, <laughs> 
Not at all. So anyway, uh, that's where we are. Uh, last yeah. week we had a pretty long, uh, ranging discussion that covered. I think we started around the year thirty, uh, and found ourselves stopping at various points along history. I think it, in, invariably because that seems to be what's happened every time. I'd like to go back a little further though to some BC, if we could. Sure. <laughs> I think it was the Hittites or the oh, yes. yeah, Serbo Hittites. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, keep going back. I'm thinking more Cro Magnon. I'm going. Um, Although, you know, it is funny, now that you say that, uh, how this is, this is, I think this burgeoning social movement of two is kind of an answer in a way to the fact that we are on yet another cycle, as we have discussed, Yep. you know, and, and the, the, the turn is being made yet again. And so there will be a need for men to stand up in the, the well, in the vacuum. Uh, of leadership and morality and all those kinds of things, and that's that's part of what we're we're here for. Yeah. So um, breaking down the the base principles, I think that uh, per- periodically throughout history, there have been what I call what I call illiberal forces, and as you yeah. know, darkness. I refer to myself as a liberal, capital L. Which I know, and I'm not allowed to qualify it in any way. So sure. I'm not saying anything else about it. Which means simply that I'm a lover of liberty, as is proclaimed in the Declaration of Independence. I think you should call yourself a libertizer. Well, there's libertarians, but... No, no, I didn't say know, libertarian. Right. A libertizer. Uh, it's a new uh, word. A freer of the oppressed, perhaps. Mm. Anyway, uh, so uh, this idea that we've been kind of teasing out, um, that periodically through history, the illiberal forces gather under the uh, domain or the dominion of the splitter, capitalist yep, splitter, yep, yep. whose design is to disunite us, right. weaken out the middle or hollow out the middle so that it will collapse, and um, that is by his design. And in America now, uh, some 221 years after the ratification of the, of the Constitution, we find, our, we find ourselves sinking backwards from, uh, from contract rule, mm-hmm. Uh, back towards status, what we call in many events here in status redux. That's where yes. that expression comes from. <laughs> status redux, a return to status. Yeah, and and status would be uh, a hierarchical system rather than uh, a system under which all men are created equal. So yeah. uh, now uh, we are in danger of the splitter uh, through duped agents. Uh, convincing people that there's nothing worth defending in America, that its institutions are shot through with racism uh, and corruption and uh, that they all have to be reimagined. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, last week yeah. we talked about how when I hear the word reimagine, I go, uh-oh. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't think they're talking about uh, sharpening the edges or taking... No, no. They, they mean like defund the police reimagine. That's right. Like and that I, kind of... I mean, ridiculousness. Well, I think those are the kind of dangerous ideas that were emblematic of the French Revolution as opposed to the American Revolution. And the American Revolution can be seen really as a revolution of conservatism in a sense because the Founding Fathers demanded from the king that he grant them the same rights of every other freeborn Englishman. So essentially they weren't saying, we want to upend this whole society. They were saying, we want the society to work for us as it does for everyone else. I mean, you're taking our taxes. That's right. We sure would like some representation. That's right. And around about the same time, uh, at the end of the 18th century, there was the French Revolution, which operated in the exact opposite way. The revolutionaries, the can't really call them founding fathers because nothing came from them but mm-hmm. chaos and and what was called the great terror uh what came from them was um, not anything productive but simply a tearing down of the existing institutions and to replace it with nothing something that had no limiting principles and, mm-hmm. and into that void rushed um a monarch you yeah. know or a, ty- yeah. a tyrant which is a tyranny form, will always in yeah. the form of in the form of uh, napoleon so whereas napoleon rushed into that vacuum and crowned himself uh, emperor, which is, by the way, an answer to Triple Pursuit question: Who who crowned uh, Napoleon as emperor? He crowned himself. Uh, Who's buried in Grant's tomb? <laughs> uh, George Washington was was likewise around about the same time offered uh, to be yeah, the to king be of America, king, yeah. and he said, "We didn't just fight twenty right. years of revolutionary war." To throw off a tyrant to simply right, replace just, him with another tyrant. Yeah, under new management. Right. So, uh, you know, like the as the song goes, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. And old G. Washington said, eh, decline. Hard pass. Hard pass on that. Yeah. So our role now, 
the two of us and and maybe possibly the scores of others who who have listened and maybe uh, enticed uh, enticed yeah. or interested so they're uh what's they're, your they're m curious yeah <laughs> mc mc curious mc curious <laughs> I'm minivan. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. So, so the MC curious. Yeah. Are uh, are. <laughs> I I can already feel that that hashtag on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> so that's okay. But from the podcast yeah. cometh the Twitter. Cometh the Twitter. Yeah. Unless it's the way right. all things. This room. Happen. This uh. The, 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 we got to come up with a name for this room. I'm gonna call it the lemon room. From the lemon room because there's an inexplicable fishbowl full of plastic yeah. lemons. From the lemon room. Today comes tomorrow's hashtags. Go. Go. <laughs> So for the MC curious, <laughs> yes, I uh, I guess the I say to myself, I like what I'm hearing. This is interesting. I read some chapters, uh, yep. perhaps that yep. uh, that have been put out there. What do I do next? Right. Oh, well, gee whiz, uh, I have no idea. Keep reading. Keep reading. Yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> hold, we're in hold the, tight. The good stuh Yeah, coming. I think. Well, okay. <clears throat> uh, no, I think that um, keep reading would be one thing. Sure. Um, and keep keep thinking. Keep, uh, you know, open up your mind to, to, to ideas that um, may not be right out there in front of you. So I'll give you, I'll give you one I came across uh, this, just this morning, as a matter of fact, and I forget exactly how I got there. But, um, you know, the founding fathers are under attack right now yes. in America as— We are tearing down statues like and as, such. Uh, you know, and, and Jefferson's statue is now being, I think, torn down in, uh, in New York. Um, of course, Madison was long since considered, I guess, because he was— you know, also a Southerner. I don't even remember if he's a slave hole or not. Mm. But, uh, you know, the Founding Fathers uh, under attack. So if you undermine the Founding Fathers, then what they founded, of course, would go down the drain with them. Right. So uh, there's some reason to defend them. However, it is a historical fact, for instance, that Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. Yes. It's a historical fact. I, I just can't remember about Madison. That's uh, a historical fact. There's no point in, in disputing that, although I would say as an andist, uh, that you have to keep both of those contradictory thoughts in your mind at the same time. But what's also true is that there was more than one founding father, and I'd forgotten about one in particular who I learned about uh, in my own reading, and this is a guy named Gouverneur Morris. And his name, the name Gouverneur, because uh, he was a descendant of French Huguenots, is actually French for governor. So governor is not is the kind of name that like a, an English guy might have, but it's not usually the kind of name like an American would have, right? Sure. Or like Ted, Jim, Mike, whatever. But uh, but governor is a name that would 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 be decently or fairly common in England. And okay. governor is the is the francophone version of that. It's the so the same thing. Yeah, it's governor. Just... It's like there's all sorts of vowels in there. But anyway, this guy Governor Morris was a uh, a lawyer in New York. Pretty bright guy. Graduated okay. from Columbia at age twelve, for instance. Uh, his father had been a, the British governor of America. Uh, interestingly, when the Revolutionary War started, he uh, he was not a soldier. He was a, he was a, uh, a I guess a statesman or whatever lawyer. But uh, he had a half brother who fought for the Americans, and he had a half brother who, who fought for the Brits. Oh. His mother was a staunch loyalist, and she gave up her land, and they lived in what was then called Southwest Chester County, but today's Bronx. Gave her land to the king. To be used for military Whatever purposes. Would, yeah. Okay. Right. So uh, you know, there's they, not a straight down the middle. Yeah. Family. Right. Yeah. So uh, that's and, a little worse than like Clemson USC right, rivalry. Right. And yeah. so I think it, he, one of his brothers, signed the Declaration of Independence, if I recall. Anyway. Sure. He wrote the preamble to the Constitution, um, and uh, is considered to be the penman, capital P, the penman. Mm. Right. And apparently, he did own slaves. No. So uh, he was, uh, like many of the founding fathers, virently and violently opposed to slaveholding, huh. called it abominable, uh, characterized a, a slaveholder as a man who would rip uh, people from their, you know, from their ancestral home and doom them mm. to, to slavery. I mean, there were many who were like that. Sure. So, you know, it, it, bears, it, it bears noting, I think, as uh, many Van Centurions to note that it is from men like Gouverneur Mer Morris who fought for liberty drafted the document that forms the contract by which we are, are we govern ourselves mm -hmm. it is from men like that uh who passed the torture ability down to to us now because he's nameless there's like three state three little towns yeah, no in upstate are, yeah. new york named after him for about 30 years there was a naval ship a cargo ship named after him not since the 70s has that thing been commissioned 
And I, I would I would venture to say that the average American, if asked, could not name the committee that drafted the, the, the Constitution. They might say Jefferson. They, sure. They might say Madison. Um, they might say John Adams. Uh, you know, they're not going to say the penman. Yeah. That's Gouverneur Morris. Huh. He also was not a, in his personal life, was not a particular mm, paragon of virtue. Oh, really? Yeah, he didn't marry until he was 57, coincidentally, the age that uh, your YHC is right now. And up to that point, he um, had a series of uh, affairs and oh. marital, both extramarital, not with his own wife. I mean, right, right. right. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> lost a leg in a uh, carriage accident, some believe, trying to escape from a jealous husband. Tiger Woods style. <laughs> Tiger Woods style. <laughs> no jealous wife in that case. Well, yeah. So uh, he was often, it was often believed that he lost his leg in combat, but in fact, that was, <laughs> that was not the kind of combat he lost his leg in. Anywho. This is more of a domestic <laughs> Anywho, combat. Right? <laughs> yeah. so, so there's your guy yeah. that history doesn't recall, and I'm going to say most people, they, they might get Jefferson, they might get Madison. I'm going to say hardly anybody would pull Governor Morris out of their back No, pocket. not a chance. I, I would have said Jefferson. That's right. Yeah, that would be and, right. And that's why when we're battling in this battle we have right now, which I believe is directed by the splitter, mm-hmm. over not only the, the, the virtue of our founding fathers, but the virtue of the documents that they wrote to, yes. for us to use as the contract of self-governance. Right. You know, in this battle, you you have to come equipped with the facts, right? But dread. <clears throat> I mean, can't we agree that our government institutions are are problematic and corrupt? Can we not agree on that? I yeah, we we cannot agree on that. We can agree to disagree. We can't agree that our our institutions are corrupt. No, I'm not going to agree to that. Well, what are you, people are corrupt. Oh, okay. Yeah, people are corrupt. Oh, so, okay. so, so, all right. Well, then can we can we say since there's a lot of corrupt people in there? What, I mean, what are we supposed to do about them? We well, can't we can't run in the Capitol with bullhorns on. Well, that's why. Well, that's true. That's why we have a a a system of constitutional governments, right? We have a contract. That's what we mean when, in, as many advanced centurion, that it's a society that moved from status to contract and is now devolving. We have a contract. And that contract is the United States Constitution coupled with the Declaration of Independence, and we we must all live by its terms and conditions. But it, it's going to take so long. It will take a long time by by design because I want my stuff now. Because the Constitution, uh, it has to be flexible enough to be changed over time, and and the drafters were wise enough to recognize that anything crafted by human hands is going to have some mistakes in it. They enabled it to be amended but they didn't make those amendments too easy to do so that it wouldn't wouldn't be subject to the winds of popular fervor so that's why it's hard to amend but it is amendable right, right. and it's been amended multiple times uh to make it uh, but, ever but, more perfect but why can't we just have the president just tell us stuff and make a law that way well i think uh the consequences of that are unfolding before us right now so interestingly enough and the i know we, you say we generally we generally stay away from topical matters, but every once yeah. in a while, I think topical matters uh, are worthwhile to take up here. Yes. And, and if you're MC Curious, this would be one of those times that we're going to do so because some interesting things happen this yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my own oh, life. Several. Right, in my own life uh, as a as a lawyer and in the uh, in the life of the nation. So I'm going to take the latter first and and okay. talk about the, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals Okay, uh, has enjoined which means blocked or you know said you can't go forth with okay. this uh the administration's um edict that it issued from osha like the okay. occupational uh-huh. uh-huh. safety, safety and health administration uh-huh. that requires companies of more than 99 employees to mandate uh the the covid the vaccine uh-huh. right okay, so, so they blocked that right so, so that, that was not gonna happen right so just a few and a very rapid fire background on it uh Regulations that are promulgated by regulatory agencies that work in the executive branch, they take statutes passed by the, by the, by the legislature and signed into bills by the president, and they take those and they implement them. So you have a statute that says, for instance, there will be such a thing as OSHA, right? It was pretty brief. Yeah. And then OSHA itself promulgates almost unending string of regulations uh, that appear in what's called the CFR, the Code of Federal Regulations, which is millions and millions and billions of pages long. 
Anyway, th- those are still subject to uh, a regular process, due process to be enacted. Okay. So there's time for the affected citizens and corporations to Compliant. appeal, no, appeal or oh, okay. whatever, be heard on them. So it's not simply that OSHA could say, and thus it, be sh- thus it shall be so, right? There's a process. There, there is a uh, an exception to that where in emergency situations, OSHA and all the other federal regulatory agencies uh-huh. can promulgate things on an emergency basis. Okay, uh, it's been done ten times um, in the case of OSHA. Uh, six times it's been challenged okay. the emergency basis, and uh-huh. one and only one time has that challenge not succeeded because oh, okay. there are very few instances in which OSHA a real emergency that's right so here's how the administration enacted its vaccine mandate with that as backdrop it did not have a law passed by the legislature which the president signed right uh it did not have uh, a, a regulatory agency regard doesn't matter which one pass a regulation that was went through the regular process it had OSHA which is workplace safety not health right it had OSHA promulgate well it has health in the in yeah, the title. yeah, fine. <laughs> fine. Uh, it had OSHA pass it, uh-huh. right? Uh, or o- OSHA promulgate it on, right. on an emergency basis. Okay. That was challenged in the Fifth Circuit. Fifth Circuit uh, temporarily restrained that and then uh, had what we lawyers call the return, which it means reconsider it in 10 days and decide whether or not that um, temporary restraint will be an injunction that will last throughout the uh, life of the, of the lawsuit that's challenging it. And it has to... To, to, to establish that, you have to establish a substantial likelihood of success on the merits, right? Okay. So whoever, and I, I don't even know, who's ever challenging that, uh, challenging the, the OSHA regulation, told the federal court that it, or convinced the federal court that it has a substantial likelihood of success on the merits, and it would be irreparably harmed uh, if, if this injunction were not enacted, and the federal court agreed, and it, I've read passages of that, uh, passages of that injunction and it really is a full-throated um, support of the premise of the United States Constitution on a couple grounds, one of which is the regulation of the health of the citizens mm-hmm. is a state function, oh. not a federal sure. function, Okay, right? And the emergency basis by which OSHA could circumvent that is not met here now in uh, a in the COVID ec- epidemic, which is two, almost two years old, right? yeah. it's not yeah. an emergency yeah. anymore. Right? <laughs> and if it were an emergency, despite what many would have you think, right? And if it were emergency, I think this is the court's words. It's somewhat cynical to say, "End this thing; it's an emergency." But two months from now, it's going to go into effect. Well, if it's an emergency, right? Then right? why wouldn't we? Yeah, it's over inclusive in the sense that anybody who works in a company of ninety nine or more employees, regardless of their health or whether they, I think they use the example, you're a long haul trucker. And you're not even around anybody, or you're 25 years old, or you already had it. Yeah, you're still subject to it. It's over inclusive. It's yeah. under inclusive in that they didn't explain why uh, it's so necessary if you're in a company uh, that has 99 employees, but yeah, uh, unnecessary in a company of 98. Or right. Less. right, right, right. So okay. on the on that basis, the court uh, has enjoined its uh, in, enactment, and and that and injunction is going to last until a full hearing on the merits. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you know goes back down to the district court, which is the trial court level. Anyway, I'm explaining all this for a reason. Yeah, yeah. It's complicated, but it's not beyond the ken, the understanding. Yes. Of the average intelligence uh, of a person of average intelligence, and my proof of that is that I just explained it, <laughs> and I vaguely understood it. So right. really, we're that's right. So <laughs> two for two. Right. Now, I'm a lawyer, so I do right. have some insight. Sure. To that. Right. But it's it it can be explained, and. Within the framework of federalism, if you can remember nothing else, remember this. It's not for the federal government to right. to regulate the health of citizens. That is best done by the state, really by the county. Sure, because you know, that's where the proximity is. That's and right. That's where, that's where the proximity is. And when, we, when we're, you know, quote, unquote, watching numbers right. and things like that, right. I mean, it is interesting how <clears throat> uh, decisions get made you know, like a state decision will get made based on one county way over here that's not necessarily representative of anything, but there. But since it fits the narrative that we want to right. to push out, we'll we'll just use these. That's what my daughter's uh, uh, the the senior is like. Dad, statistics is terrible, and I'm like, honey, you have no idea. <laughs> you know, she's taking classes sure. and stuff, right? And she's like, this is hard because it's like, well, what about this? And I said, well, the problem that's the problem. 
right? With, with a statistic is you can, it, people don't use it in the context I think that it's intended. They just use it to extrapolate whatever, you know, whatever story they want to tell. It's the, so the statistic itself is kind of neutral. The yeah, statistic is just a number, uh, how, but the you know, story that you decide to tell about it is is often very uh, biased. So, I am a um, one of the many things funny is like I had this argument, capital A good argument with a guy the other day, and he's like, he's like, it just he 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 says, <laughs> the problem with you is you say controversial things and it forces somebody to respond and then you use that response to make your point <laughs> and i said that's not a bug that's a feature <laughs> it just cracked me up yeah <laughs> you know because the, the particular thing that i had said that he was yeah. reacting to is that robert e lee was a traitor mm, okay you know this guy is not like robert e lee is a hero and i'm a you know i got a computer yeah. flag in the wall he just was struggling with the idea of robert e lee being a traitor and, and I said, I'm using that in the strictest of terms. He was a man who took an oath of office mm -hmm. as a United States Army officer after graduate, graduating from the Military Academy at West Point that he would uphold and defend the Constitution till the day he died. And mm. before he died, he turned his back on that oath and took an oath to another country. And see, I think I saw some tweets about this. Yeah. yeah. And, and my sole point of it was that that makes him a traitor in the strictest sense of the word. Now, the fact that the... That the that the that the United States government did not prosecute him sure. for that was a policy choice that it made in 1865, which I personally agree with. In retrospect, was the right way to go, but it doesn't mean that he wasn't a traitor. And and this had come up in our Q source meeting uh -huh. when we were talking about uh, oaths of office and commissions and what they meant. Right. And why I said if you ha happen to have taken the oath of office as a military officer and you sworn to defend the Constitution, right? That 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 you can't undo that oath. Right? Because it doesn't ever say... Unless it's inconvenient. Once, yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah. Now, as a lawyer, you, as to pass a bar, at least in North Carolina, I think in most states, you take a similar oath to uphold the, the state constitution, in my case, North Carolina, and the United States Constitution, which means that... Until the day you die? That's right. Until the day I die. So, you know, I can tender my law license and, and retire... Uh-huh. But I'm going to say that that oath continues to death. So I, I'm is a that, double oather. I was going to say, is that why you get frustrated? Because I've seen you you talk about this before, where like a retired military guy, he's retired, he's no longer active duty, right. and then he will speak certain things, say certain things, right. that, and you say you should be, you should, I don't care, my, my retired or not, you shouldn't do that. My, my personal belief, it, yeah, I, I was going to, he's almost okay. right, because it has, there's a little nuance yeah, yeah, to okay, it. Yeah, okay, good. You know, my personal belief is that for the most part, mm -hmm. um, former military officers should not become involved in politics at all. Sure. Now people might say, what about Eisenhower? I say, just for the most part. Yeah, right. right. He, he's one of the not most right. parts. Now, if you're going to run for political office, you're going to announce it. Mm -hmm. Choose a party, run for political office. Uh, and, I, that, 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 and the fact that you were a general in the army like Eisenhower, like mm -hmm. Zachary Taylor, like U.S. Grant, like many, many former generals who have been presidents, George Washington himself. Sure. You know, that when they have chosen to do that, they take off their military hat and become the president or become a political candidate. Right. I don't think I would do that, but I'm fine with it being done. And I think the country has benefited. Sure. From many of our former military officers, which includes Abraham Lincoln, because he was a lieutenant in the army. People right. don't realize Didn't that. Matter. That's right. Um my distinction is when you are not running for office, when you are simply commenting on matters of political concern publicly, I don't believe a former military officer should take partisan positions. And I certainly don't. And that goes triple, quadruple for, for, for general and flag officers, flag officers and admiral. Okay. So if you are a... Certainly, is a the, the on top, active top ranks. Yeah. Certainly on active duty, which... Well, they'll, they'll kick you out for that, won't they? It's been happening, and they haven't been. Certainly uh, an active duty, but even a retired general should never intercede in partisan political affairs at any, at, at any time. And the reason is very simple, because the soldiers and the young officers, which I was once one, yeah. look up to these men and are influenced and accordingly. by them. Yeah. And to take a position on the Constitution is one thing, but to say, for instance— this particular, you know, this president is a dishonorable man or that president, to take those that's partisan it. positions, that's punditry. And my, my position is, 
uh, and it's biblical as well, right? Because sure. no man serving oh, yeah. as a soldier yeah, yeah. becomes entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Second uh, Timothy two four. The the uh, <laughs> my, my belief is that that should never happen, uh-huh. and it's and it discredits the service when an, when an officer does that. Now, I have had this dispute, this argument, big A, which means right, it's good, right. with such men as. Uh, um, Tim Watson, right, who, who is a real but fictional character, who yeah. appears in the movie Vincent Centurions. Right. I, won't, I won't identify his real name, uh, and but his he de- knows who he is. I don't know. He's probably not listening to this. He knows who, who is a full throated defender of of Admiral McRaven uh-huh. having done this, and he loves McRaven because he's got that whole make your bed and all that stuff, which I'm fine with. But then when McRaven wandered into partisan political punditry, uh-huh. I said he exceeded the border of what, particularly what a, a retired flag officer should do. You know, but mm-hmm. but I wouldn't even done. You know, highest rank I read in National Guard was a, a wee major, and I wouldn't do it. So I, I I I and I explained all this to him, and we agreed to disagree. Which Tim Watson and I agree to disagree on a multitude of things. Yes, Tim Tim Watson is one of the finest guys I've ever known. Great father, mm-hmm. great husband, great family. When I grow up, I want to be Tim Watson. Yeah, and we agree on all the essentials, and, and disagree on almost all the non-essentials. Yeah. And, you know, Tim Watson and I disagreed on whether or not uh, it should be mandatory for uh, a motorcyclist, not a cyclist, but a motorcyclist Motorcyclist. to wear a helmet in the state of South Carolina. And his- He probably wants you to wear one. He wants you to wear one. And I said, I have no position as to whether it's a good idea or not. Quite frankly, I think it probably makes sense, but it's the individual decision. So if- one of our my Gamecock friends wants to ride free on his Harley with his mullet blowing in the wind and yeah. crack his nugget open. That's a him thing. That's kind of how I feel. That's a him thing. If the thing that tells you right. <laughs> how you should live your life, you would be willing to risk spattering it across sure. I-77. Now, like, I, I wouldn't. Now, in fact. I wouldn't. I won't even ride a motorcycle. It would terrify me. In fact, as a, as a family man, you yeah. know, and this is the Frank, Francis Bacon part yep. of the, yep. uh, the MC. Is that I believe that my children and wife are hostages of fortune, and because of that, because they're dependent upon me, I will not. There's certain risks I will not take. One yeah. of which is, I will Spattering not. Spattering your right. Actually, yeah. I, you know. So that's not to criticize motorcyclists. Everybody no, no. assess your own risk, but that's that's my assessment. But, but that's but, what it is. But that's that each individual man's personal per, assessment of right. how he wants to do that or that's not right. do that. That's right. And yeah. and Tim Watson's first appearance in the Mini Van Centurion is in a chapter not yet released called Meteorologist Jim. And it's about uh, a meteorologist who likes to tell people when they should yeah. leave their homes or not. And I said, yeah. you know, that's a matter of individual agency. And Tim Watson says, but he is an expert. And I say, an expert in reading the Doppler, not in individual risk assessment. Right. Not every man is his own expert. His own personal expert. And Tim Watson and I disagree about that. Yeah. Tim and I, Watson and I do agree on the essentials, which means this. While we disagree about whether the state of South Carolina should mandate the wearing of a helmet for its motorcyclists. Incidentally, if you're if you're outside the state of South Carolina, they don't. I, I have no yeah. idea. They, no, uh, they don't mandate it. I'm yeah, just saying. I, I, yeah. ju- I, I just don't. No. Yeah. No. I, I'm as a resident of South Carolina. I'm just telling right. men who might be listening. Sure. Who who this don't seems know one important way to you? So good. But I don't care. It's not really the point. Right? Damn it, man. Okay. Go on. So uh, whether or not they should, we do agree that if it if the state of South Carolina were to dark mandate it, it would have to be at the having passed a bill in what South Carolina, what passes as the legislature or whatever in the state of South Carolina and have its governor actually sign the thing right? and then have it tested if if a citizen so desires before the Supreme Court to see if it's constitutional or meets the requirements of the South Carolina Constitution. He and I agreed on that point because we okay. agree on the essentials. Yeah. On the non-essentials, it's not required that we, we agree on those. And cause his, his his primary point being, well, because we have to pay for his head and it's going to block the emergency room. I, I don't mean to do this in the wrong voice, but that's <laughs> that's his that's his argument, right? He doesn't sound like that. He doesn't sound yeah. like that. He's a extremely uh, manly, manly yeah. guy who yeah. uh, does would, engage in a little bit of yard sign utopianism. But again, <laughs> we can agree to disagree on that. Right? Yeah. 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 We can agree <laughs> yeah. to disagree on that. So, uh, you know, for Fort instance, because this yeah. is also topical, uh, uh, not the not the vaccine, but the masking part of it. Okay. Uh, Tim Watson was a big proponent oh, of yeah. masking. Yes. Right. Um, yes. 
And I was willing to mask when it was the law, but I didn't believe in it medically. So I was not a masking enthusiast. Right. And t- and Tim, almost looked there. Tim was a masking enthusiast. Yeah. So much so that he appeared once uh, at an event wearing a mask and a shield, like one of these plexiglass yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. face shields. And I said, so one mask is no longer sufficient for you? And he's like, well, you know, it's the added protection and all this stuff. And it reminded me, funny about the movie, right? Of the part where Jennifer Aniston's a waitress at a, oh, a burger uh-huh. joint and they're required to wear a certain flare. number of flare, yeah, like these number, little yeah. uh, buttons, ma- and, buttons and stuff. And I think the number was 12 or 18 uh, or whatever, yeah, whatever it, was. it was. And she's wearing that number because yeah. she thinks she's it's like, idiocy. And the manager says, I need to talk to you about your yeah, flare. Don't you want to wear more? And she's like, I thought the number was 12. And she says, and he says, well, you know. Look, what, at, look, at, look at Rod over That's right, because he's wearing a bunch of, yeah. but it's like here at Shotsky's, I think it was, they were like, <laughs> you know, you, you can go anywhere for the burger, but you're here for the attitude, which is what the flair was all about, right? Right, right? So, you know, when it came to the mask, I'm there for the burger. You know, I'm not there for the attitude. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, when I saw like uh, <laughs> a, a member of the current administration wearing two masks suddenly. Yes. And, you know, suddenly wear, I thought, oh, they want us to wear more flair. Right. Yes. <laughs> because for me, don't you want to show how right. enthusiastic That's you right. are? For me, the wearing of a mask is equivalent to flair. Right. It's just something you do um, to to show your zeal. It's part of the attitude. You know, like I, I don't believe it enhances the burger at all. I mean, it's it's that's just the way I view it. Right. Sure. But yeah. Tim Watson and I, we just disagreed on that point. He right. You know, he really believed in it. Yeah. And that, but we can still be united even though we don't have unity on that non-essential point right so so we talked through that part right but then just to to roll us back a little bit you mentioned that you had something in your personal life as well that pointed up uh very similarly to that fifth fifth circuit yeah so well i had a couple you know one is i finally got in a trial court last week this week it's, it's saturday yeah after almost two years which is insane. Uh, yeah. Of not being able to try uh, civil jury cases in the state of North Carolina, well, in Mecklenburg County, it's county by county. So the, the Mecklenburg County Courthouse has been has not been running civil jury trials consistently. They tried a couple times, and then they haven't been doing it. And the first week of November of this year, they they gave it another shot. And, so and if I'm and not to make it a political thing or whatever, I'm just out of curiosity, this is a COVID related issue correct yeah no it's a it's a was a was a, a social distancing and, and attempt to control okay. the spread of COVID. Yeah. right so okay. uh for those of you who've never been it basically works the same wherever you go you have a, a bunch of people brought in to beat you know to sit on the jury and uh that's the way it happened here and and i thought the judge did a very good job of like there's there's a whole protocol in mecklenburg county how many men they can have or people they can have in a room at once mm-hmm. anyway mm-hmm. yeah got it Finally gets 12 jurors seated in the in the jury box, and there's these plexiglass dividers and all Between this Between everyone? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, the judge uh, reads from a card the the COVID protocols, you know, uh, and it was lengthy. And, uh, and of course, okay. one, of them, one of them was that everyone in the courthouse, in a courtroom, will always be wearing their mask throughout the trial, with the exception of a, a, a lawyer asking questions. Okay, well, and that's so that he can be heard. Yeah, he or she can yeah. be heard. The difficulty okay. is okay. it's hard to hear anyway. Yeah, uh, or a or a witness. Okay, answering questions. Yeah, sure. It's and, uh, same reason, right? And other yeah. than that, everyone's going to wear a mask. And he goes to everybody, and he says, "Does everybody agree to all this?" I had a card. Yeah, yeah. The, the courthouse has written this with these rules up, and everybody nods their head. And then everybody turns and looks at this one dude. One juror who's oh, not no. wearing a mask. Oh, no. <laughs> and he hadn't been wearing a mask. They brought him in. He wasn't wearing a mask. <laughs> and I noticed it. I guess the judge didn't notice it. I uh-huh. noticed it. This one guy, and he was funny. He looked like um, a soldier out of uniform to me. Like uh-huh. he was because very, everybody else had kind of. Well, he's young. He was very well in very good, good physical condition. Uh-huh. He's wearing a, a T shirt. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, he just yeah, looked yeah, like. He a, looked like he could be a soldier, yeah, but he wasn't right. wearing a uniform. And, gotcha. he, and he didn't look aggressive or anything. He's just wasn't no, he wearing just, it. Yeah. Right. So everybody kind of <clears> looks at him, and the judge suddenly says, after all this, he goes, well, like, for instance, sir, you're not wearing a mask. And and the juror says, uh, Yes, Your Honor, I'm not wearing a mask. And he goes, Are you refusing to wear a mask? And he says, No. <laughs> he says, Do you have a mask? He says, No. 
<laughs> and he said, well, will you come down here to the bench? And he goes to the bench. And the lawyers go up to because, you know, right, whenever right. that happens, uh -huh. go up to him. And, and, and the judge says, try not to let the jurors here. He said, right. I just want to understand. We have a problem. He goes, no. I, and he goes, so you will wear a mask? He said, if you're telling me I must, I will. Just like that. Uh -huh. And the judge had a ma another mask and uh -huh. he gave it to him. And he goes, will you put that on? He goes, of course. <laughs> and he puts it on. He sits back down. It's kind of weird. Well, I thought what it is is a, what we would call a mild form of civil disobedience. Sure. I mean, he was observing the rules. He said, I will wear the flare. I'm aware um, you require, right. but I'm going to wait until the first person in a position of authority tells me I yeah, must. Yeah. Uh -huh. Now, if you're ever a juror, you know, you go downstairs and they have this whole thing you go through and you like, you don't just walk in a courtroom. This is hours after they got there for jury mm. duty. Somehow so, this guy had gotten through, through that whole process. The whole process. And no one had asked him. No one in authority had, or probably anybody yeah. had asked him to do it and when and finally the judge did and he said sure no no uh right. no pushback no complaint no nothing that's right yeah okay sure yeah because this was a guy for whom it's just flair right 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 and i just laughed in my head <laughs> at that and immediately struck him from my jury panel used uh -huh. one of my peremptory strikes to get rid of him because i just don't know what the guys think <laughs> well you, 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 he is unpredictable uh, he was unpredictable yeah, and, I, and you can't have that. Idea. I thought the law was in my client's favor. And if this is a guy that is, is pushes it to right that edge. edge. Yeah. You're like, I don't, I don't, even though that. I liked his style, I was worried about <laughs> like, him. Personally, sir, I like the cut of your jib. <laughs> I like, I like his style. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I was, but you got to go, but you're going to have to go. Right. Yeah. You're going to have to go. So that was one interesting thing. Now, uh, the trial was very right. interesting to get back and I was really rusty. Uh, well, um, but it's been a minute. But everybody, it's been yeah. a minute, but everybody was. Okay. Uh, but I realized that a, a huge portion of what's been missing in my life is the opportunity to um, cross-examine a, a hostile witness. Uh, did you get to do that this week? Yes. Now, hostile doesn't mean that you're angry. It means that you are um, adverse in interest to the to your client's interest. Okay. So we say hostile, and, and people get confused by that. Yeah, they think it's like somebody yelling and being belligerent no. or something. I mean, you can be, yeah. you can be polite, yeah, crazy polite, and but be still be hostile, be adversarial, hostile. and, and yeah. technically a hostile witness. So, so uh, this is a witness that the other, that the, 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 the other, other party. side. He's yeah. the other party. Oh, okay, okay, right. okay. So it. I was playing. So to asking him questions. He's the defendant. Got it. He's yep. the defendant. Yep. So I was a plaintiff, so I went first, but I called. He was my first witness. Ooh, okay. Yeah. And uh, we had an interesting interchange. This is how rusty people are. So I called him in my case, and and to you know on on direct examination, you have to ask open ended questions. Okay. Like, no so yeses, no no. I can't say Frank, you're wearing a black shirt, aren't you? That's that's called a leading. That's a leading question. question. Sure. I have to say Frank, what color shirt are you wearing? Got it. Okay. And let me yes. say what I'm. That's okay. right. That's yeah. right. That's called an open ended question. Yeah. So direct examination. Because I would say this is a dark gray Heather. <laughs> <That's fine>. <laughs> on direct examination, <laughs> it is a, actually, and it's very attractive. It's a, so on direct examination, you ask open-ended questions. On cross-examination, uh, you ask you can ask leading questions, and you can also impeach the witness, which means to, to question his testimony. And on direct uh, okay. examination, you technically can, but who would impeach your own witness? Anyway, so we, we have a rule that allows you to do so. He's checking his watch because he's like... No, no, no. Oh, just just like you're going good. Keep going. No, you're good. That's you good. know, uh, so uh, you ha we have a rule. On yes. North Carolina, uh -huh. allows you to do this. And I, and I have to ask the judge. And I said, judge, I'm, you know, I'm... I move the court to allow uh, a lot of plaintiff to to question this witness using using leading questions to impeach him, as if he had been called in 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 the cases as a as a witness against me. So that's pretty much what the rule says. Okay. And the other the other lawyer, his lawyer, objects and says, "Well, the, hasn't established that he's hostile yet." And the judge says, "Sustained," like he agrees with that. Yeah. So uh, as for bench conference, which means uh -huh. you're outside the uh, the hearing of the jury. Okay, uh, so, so you, you go up to the, the judge's bench, right, but you right. just kind of hushed. Well, and actually, here. yeah, so actually this particular judge liked to just step outside real quick. Okay. Uh, so, which we did, and he and he looks at me, he goes, what are you trying to do? And I showed him the rule. And he looks at it, and he's like, oh. And he hands it to the other lawyer, he goes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so he go back in, and he let me do it. Strike all that stuff. Yeah, yeah so uh, why this is, why I bring this up is because for me, I don't think, now the other lawyer is 20 years younger than me. Okay. Uh, good lawyer. Um, I don't. I think one of the diff the generational differences 
between a, a lawyer in his late 50s as I am and a lawyer in his 30s is for me, uh, cross-examination and the adversarial process is like falling off a log. Mm. I mean, I almost can't. It's in your DNA. It's so hard for me to not cross-examine and impeach witnesses that I use that conversational technique with all the time. I was going to say, by the way, listeners, if you don't, right. if you don't know, if you right. talk to him just in conversation, that's what's going to happen right. to you. That's right. Now, um, that adversarial confrontation, adversarialness, right? Yeah. Is part of what is a tenet of collision learning. Sure. Right? Yeah. Right. Got to bump into something. Failure, argument, adversity, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's how you learn, right? And it is, in fact, the, the reason why we have a trial set up the, same, the way we do. Because if you think about it, like everybody knows, they watch movies about trials, right? Sure. It, it, they watch A Few Good Men, and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. So a witness testifies, right? He yeah. says, uh, well, there's nothing in the uh, SOP, the unit SOP about code red. Right. And then on cross-examination, Tom Cruise again yeah. says, says, show me where it is. Where's where the mess hall? It, show me where the mess hall is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, the guy says, oh, it doesn't say that in there. Oh, really? Huh. Why well, not? how do you... Because everybody knows where it is. Oh. oh. So everybody knows where the code is. I guess they just follow the crowd just follow the crowd at chow time. Great little, uh, real, very realistic piece yeah. of lawyering. So um, that is how you learn. That's how the judge and jury learn. If you just had one side of it, it'd be the sound of one hand clapping. You'd hear nothing. So you get the other side of it, yeah. right? You have zealous advocates for both sides, plaintiff and defendant, both sides, subjecting the witness on first hand to ask him direct indirect or you know indirect asking him open any questions so he has to testify for himself right right that's direct he you know you, he can't yep. he can't he can't suggest an answer and then having the adversarial lawyer the lawyer from the other side subject him to a hot cross examination and test the veracity of his direct testimony by saying you said but isn't it true that so right yeah you said it doesn't say anything about the code red in the sop right but right. isn't it true that it doesn't say anything about the mess hall either right so isn't it true that there are some things that are so obvious that nobody's written them down yeah and that's how it works right that's how it should work got it and what i the trend that i've noticed in lawyers who are produced from law schools over the last say 10 years or so is that they've don't have that natural sense of adversarial confrontation. Why do you think that is? I think it's because it's part of the general trend that we've been talking about, this movement back to a status where we all kind of have to agree on everything, right? Yeah. So the Augustinian code, right, in essentials, full unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and in all things charity, is disturbing, right? Because it requires people to hear things they don't want to hear. I have to allow liberty. That's right. Liberty, like as we well, said last like week, is a close-run thing. Yeah. And the inclination, I think in some part, uh, well-meaning inclination to stop arguing about things. Just, just let's just agree. Yeah, can't we just, like, can't we yeah, all just get so along? Get, like, and, and then that, that, lends itself to a kind of a group think where we, mm. we get mad at the guy who comes in and does what we call the Mr. Vice and says, now, right. wait a second. Yeah, yeah. Now, wait a second, right? Hang on a second. And starts asking those hard questions that, that nobody really wants to hear, right? And we've built up over the last, I guess, 10 years or so, this whole concept of hate speech. Yeah. Right? So we talked about last week saying, I have this a yes. good friend who's like, right. yeah, but why, what about men why who are, are we, injured by... Why are we letting people say things that's hate speech? And I said, listen, there's, we, have to gov we have to allow it, number one, to stay free. But here's the other deal. There's a difference between speech, someone saying something because they hate you and somebody saying something you hate to hear. Mm. You know? And the problem with... This, we have conflated those things. We've conflated those things. And in our softness as men... They're the same thing, right? Yeah. They're the yeah. same thing. Um, and, and that's why this idea, you know, well, he's not hostile. That's not the point. The point is, it's my job 
to test this man's testimony. The fact that I'm going to do it before you do it is just a matter of, of, of trial strategy. Right. But this is my job. And if you stop doing it, if you don't have argument, failure, right, and adversity, you cannot collision learn, and you're going to roll off and make huge mistakes. Now, roll back to my friend Tim Watson. Yes. Tim Watson sees things differently than I do in, in many ways. Yeah. If we were both sitting in the Virginia House of Burgesses when Patrick Henry Roden said, rose and said, give me liberty and give me death, <laughs> I probably wouldn't run through the wall. Well, I'm ready. Let's go right now. <laughs> and Tim right. Watson would have said, I've got this spreadsheet <laughs> that assesses the cost of what you're proposing. <laughs> because you know Tim Watson, you know that's exactly what he would do, right? Yes. And he would pull out this spreadsheet, and, and, and then he would force us. We'd well, have some PowerPoint too. He, probably, yeah, he'd yeah. force us to assess the cost of death. Yeah, right. Yeah. So he just he'd force us to say this is what liberty, the value of liberty against this cost of death. That's what he would do. Right. And that's why it's he is such of such great value. Would, yeah. Not only to F three, but to to me in my life. Yeah. So one night, uh, I was having a bad driver moment last summer. Noted. Um, and uh, I'd been drinking a bit. Uh, a bad driver. I'm surprised and a, to hear that. A bad driver. He wasn't literally driving everyone. I, I, Don't worry. No, no. I was. So this is. Oh, you know that's that's out. Bad driver is out. Like yeah, yeah. You it's know, like chapter six. Yeah, chapter six. Five, yeah. Chapter six. Six. Yeah. Uh, just because somebody else, you know, is bad driver. Right. Then you have to. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and I was reacting in a way uh, on Twitter that was uh, antithetical to what I'm promulgating here. Right. Noted. You were you were splitting. I was. I was I was responding angrily instead of to substance, right? Got it. And uh, there's a later chapter in the MC for the curious uh, called Good Carpenters, which means, you know, it's only bad carpenter blames his tools, yes. right? So I was letting Twitter get the best of me. I yes. was blaming my tools. Anyway, in the midst of this, I can't remember what the issue was, going back and forth. I get a text from Tim Watson. Uh-huh. And uh, I look at it and it says, either you're drunk or you're angry. Either way, put your phone down and thank me in the morning. So that like, made me... You were wrong. I'm both drunk that, and angry. <laughs> that, that, that made me really angry. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yet, because I trust him and because he's the voice in my life who says, wait a second, mm -hmm. I put my phone down and call up in the morning and thank him because mm. he was absolutely right. Yeah. Because I was on the verge of saying something I couldn't pull back. And uh, this is how it works in the life of men. You know, I'm hardwired this way. I'm a yes. zealous advocate, right? I'm a man whose gesture is anger. Yes. Um, that makes me a pretty effective litigator most of the time. Oh, yeah. Most of the time. But, you know, between the hours of 9 and 5 when I'm in the courthouse, I'm, also, one thing. I'm governed by the rules of procedure and general comportment and the general rules of practice, and um, I'm a professional. And then sometimes at five oh one, however, five oh one, after a couple of shovel flags, maybe not right. so. And uh, and Tim Watson, because he's my dear friend, knew that I would regret it. Yeah. And uh, he was like the guy in Squid Games in the first game who grabs, you know, before the guy falls down, grabs yeah, yeah. holds him. Yeah, it was like that. That this is an absolute necessity in the life of men is that you have to lock shields with men with. In, with whom you do not fully agree. Yeah. Right? You agree on the essentials. Uh, those those uh, radical notions that we talked about which govern which govern us, right. right? Empty tomb and all men are created equal. Tim and I are in full agreement on that. Sure. We're just not in full agreement about how those play out on every single thing. Right. Right? Right. And uh, because of that, he is a reliable and welcome voice in my life he helps me collision learn from the other side. Mm -hmm. And I would be just as wrong when I'm saying, well, you just don't want to hear something that, you don't want to hear words you hate when I throw that at a millennial who's singing Kumbaya. If I were to silence Tim Watson and say, I won't listen to you anymore because you yeah. keep showing me your freaking spreadsheet. Right. He's showing me that spreadsheet for two reasons. He believes in the data on it, right? And number two, he believes in me and wants to save me from myself, yeah. right? And and that's critical in the life of men, and that's one of those themes. I hope we uh, I hope we hit. We, there, you kind of it's funny. You triggered this thought process in my head with your 
observations about your daughter and statistics. Mm. And I can't remember. Did you make that on 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 cast or was that before we were talking? No, no, it was, it was yeah, a, right. yeah, yeah. It's funny, Frank and I, man. <laughs> we talk so much. I'm stuck in traffic waiting on the marathon to pass. I, I call goes, him up on the goes, phone. Quick, hit record. <laughs> I call him up on the phone. And I'm like a mile away, but I could see it was going to take me a year to get here. Yeah. So I, I, I had to drive another 10 miles to get around it. But we talked for less 10, mi- 10 yeah. miles, right? Yeah. And we talked, and I, wa- I literally walked in here talking to him. On and the phone. Sat down and then we the hang up, and then we keep hang going. Hang up, and we keep going. And yeah. I can't even remember when he pushed the go button on the Rodecaster Pro. But yeah. uh, so when his comments, yeah, uh, his comments about statistics, I agree with. And yet, statistics are necessary. On They're facially neutral. Right. And they can be manipulated through right. bias. I have a bias in, in I have several biases. Um, one of my biases is when I represent a, a client, uh-huh. I'm biased towards his interests. And sure. I will pick and choose and manipulate that data all I can. It's your job. That's my job. And 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 then the judge is fully reliant to collision learn the truth by seeing the other guy stand up and say, not so fast. Right, easy tiger. Yeah, not so fast. Yeah. Isn't it true that? right yeah that's how we learn so it's a bad carpenter who says all statistics are bad sure right it's a good carpenter who says it's people that are bad and the best way to avoid the effects of bad people is to set ambitious men against one another and so just like statistics just like many of the things that we have discussed up to this point on this podcast everything okay don't Gonna be a pain in the butt and make a hyperbolic statement. So just you know, I love get, hyperbolic statements. I know when I make them, <laughs> <laughs> fair. But so much of our lives, so many of the things that we see, so many of the things that we do, <laughs> the events that we, uh, and the statistics and the whatever else, it's all neutral. It's all neutral. Right. right. These things just happen. You know, it's funny. I learned that there was a dude who came and spoke to a, a group I was in. And he had no arms, uh, or he had like little, like flutamide kind of birth defect. I don't know what that is, but yeah, yeah like yeah. little chicken wing kind of, you know, yeah. whatever. Right? And and he had gone through extensive surgeries and all this kind of stuff to reconstruct and try and make it so he could actually. He's actually an attorney, I think. Um, but uh, anyway, so he, you know, to try and make it so he could ask, actually grasp a couple little things here and there and whatever, right? And but that was birth defect. It was exactly that. Right. He was just born that way. And he said, you know, people walk up to him. And like a Panera bread and just come up and like kids would like touch his arms and be like, ew, you know, and all this kind of stuff where people make comments or ask idiot questions because that's what people do. Right. And he said a long time, I mean, forever, he was just angry. He was so angry about it. And it would get, make him so mad and he would just get so and just disgusted and frustrated and angered by how could people do it and whatever. And then one day he realized, you know what? I'm, I'm the one deciding that this is feel, problematic. Yeah. Right. Like they're just, they're curious. Like they're weird, you know, sure. sure. It's weird. Okay. So these events, every event, all these things are neutral, and we place the value on them that we do or don't right. that we do or don't want. And so, one way, I guess, I guess I'm asking the question now. One way to hold the middle is to recognize that all the things happening around us are actually neutral, and we don't have to be thrown off by them. We don't have to be split. We don't have to sit on two ends. You have the you have the decision, the freedom to decide if you get cut off in traffic. You can either flip the guy the bird, right, or you can be a good driver. You have yeah. the you have the freedom to respond to that. The splitter would have you flip the guy the bird, yeah, or chase him down or whatever. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you have that freedom. Yeah. Um, so you have to ask yourself, you know, key bono, who who benefits? <laughs> who benefits from bad driving? Yeah. Who benefits from being a bad carpenter? Who benefits from angry tweets? Who benefits from um, rank, uh, pu- you know, partisan punditry? Right. Who benefits benefits from that? I'm going to say not your wife, not your family, not your community. Ultimately, not the nation. Not, not to say not even the person on the other side. Right. Not to say that that there isn't a place for ambitious politicians. In fact, that's the best system we have. And the, what the founding fathers did, the Gouverneur Morrises did, mixed bags of people that they were, was to see to be able to understand that ambitious men would always be amongst us. And right. to pretend that that wasn't so was to doom yourself right. to lying about what they were doing. So instead, they, they just they just constructed a system guardrails. that the antidote for an ambitious man was a, an ambitious man in opposition. Yeah, and they divided power by the co-equal branches of the government. That's horizontally and also amongst the vertical branches of government, and that's where we get the, the idea of federalism, and that that power divided. And the system by which they put in the due process, which they constructed, is the thing that keeps us free. But that freedom is a close-run 
thing. And that is why I was heartened to see what I thought was a clear. And again, I'm not commenting on the utility of the shot at all. Right. Simply on the due process by which the administration tried to ram it through. Right. They tried to do it outside the bounds of the Constitution, and they were stopped from doing it. And that, at the end of the day, and I would say that to the man who feels on the other side, because you kind of brought this up. You, you, I know you were, you were just throwing me softball. Yeah. But if, if to the man who's concerned and says, well, how do we overcome these things that the process won't overcome? It's too, it's too slow. You know, all this yeah. ambition yeah. checking is too slow. Now. You know, we have all these big problems. Don't you realize, brother, that someday the, the, the machinery of power could be held by the people with whom you disagree? So if you encourage the people with whom you agree when they have the machinery of power to run roughshod over our constitutional restraints, the same will occur when you're out of power. And when that happens, things will happen to your detriment. Right. The only way we can preserve freedom is to ensure that there are limiting principles to power. And those limiting principles are set forth in the Constitution. That's our contract. Abandoning that is to abandon the middle. And we ain't doing that. We ain't doing that. Not... Not today, my dark friend. Indeed. Hey, Not today. you do me a favor? I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do as long as it's legal and ethical. <laughs> that's a pretty open book. Well, that's what I say to my clients all the time. They're yeah. like, oh, can we do this? I'm like, is it legal? Is it ethical? I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it. Yeah. Oh, actually, third question, will you pay for it? We pay. <laughs> <laughs> but with you, I don't charge you. So uh, Fair. Not for if this. It's, if it's legal and ethical, I'll I was just going to say hold the middle, but. Oh, well, heck, that's that, that's easy. Not only is that legal and ethical, it's obligatory. So, yeah. yes, I will, my friend. Let's do it together. All right? <laughs> all right sounds good. All right, Face for Radio. <laughs> yeah, it's a podcast. It is. You've been listening to the Minivan Centurion. If you liked it, share it, rate it, and review it. Then join us every week while we talk about what it's going to take to fulfill our duty as men and leaders. You were made for these times. The road will be rough, but you're up to the task. You don't fight alone. You fight alongside centurions. Centurions.